Thank you, choir. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know about you, but this week is one of those weeks where you just kind of think, can we have a do-over? Can we start it over again and try another time? Let's just, uh, second chance, God, please. Let's, let's have a do-over uh, this week. It, it, it kind of hurts too much. I'd like to try it over again and see if it can be any better. When I hear those names, Tony, and I hear the name John, and I hear the name Sue, and know that this has been a week. Trying not to have any flashbacks to the late 80s, early 90s, when it was commonplace for us to bury people three at a time. Every week. So go God, please let us have a do-over. You know? Hell, let us have a second chance. And we know that God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. And is with us in and among all of the action that happens in our lives. And how do we continually trust that? Trust that God's with us even when it hurts that God is with us. Can we have a second chance, God? And God says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I will be with you right in the midst of all of it. I remember a story of my first year of college. I was a freshman and they have to take all those beginning classes, you know, uh, and I took Psychology 101. I don't know how many of you took Psychology 101. It's kind of a fun class. It's more interesting than some of the other ones that we had to take. And so it was about this size. It was in an auditorium, intimate setting, <laughs> you know. They had a stage up front. We didn't have a choir, but uh, they had a stage up front. And so um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I would have test anxiety back then when you had to answer those questions and try and get a good grade. I liked to be one of those perfect little boys in the world, and so tests, you know, they would tell you if you were perfect or not, and I didn't like that very much. So in that class on that day, the psychiatrist was, I think, was playing with us a little bit, because when it was test day and all the 300 students would have to line up on this side of the auditorium with their answer sheets, which you had filled in faithfully with your number two pencil, and you came up to the front of the auditorium where there was a scantron right here. And you would put your answer sheet into the scantron and you would get your answers right away. This is great. I love multiple choice tests. You know, give me limited answers and I can do a good job. You know, just not a blank page I have to write paragraphs on. So in these multiple choice tests, we would come up, the lines behind us, we would take our turn putting our answer sheets in and scantrons. If you remember from back then, 1978, 1979, the technology wasn't quite all there yet. And so every time a wrong answer was marked, it would click audibly. <laughs> so you take a deep sigh before you put your test in, you know, and it might go click, click, or click, click, click. And then occasionally someone would go, <laughs> you know, like that. Uh, and everyone wouldn't laugh, they would groan. <laughs> they would groan with the student. But he was working on us somehow, so our psychology teacher would then um, give us a second chance. You got to take your answer sheet back to your desk. You got to refill out the bubbles that you missed. You got to go back up there again, and you would get half credit for those questions that you got right the second time around. And so that took a lot of the test anxiety away. We got to try again and get partial credit for those answers that you missed the first time around. But man, I can remember that. Yeah. Not me, God, please, not me. You know, but having a second chance made a difference. 
Sometimes we forget that God gives us those second chances every time we wake up and breathe anew every morning. It's a part of our life every day. God is with us in all those changes. There was a time in my life when I remember, um, since this is Mother's Day, I'll tell you a mom story. Um, when we would go to church from wherever we were in our lives, uh, and we moved around a lot. We were a three-person family, my mom, my sister, and I. And so we would move wherever the housing was cheap, that was close to whatever job she had at the time, and where she thought the school district was safe enough for us to be in it, right? So all that criteria had to be met, and so we would move every year, every other year. And so it was important that we had something constant in our life, and what was constant in our life was church. That was the thing that kept us solid in all the moving around that we did. And so at this point in time, we were, that I remember, we were living in League City, and she was working for NASA at the time on the Apollo project. She was one of the support staff, if y'all can remember those days. Some of you will. And, um, and at that time that we had just moved to League City, we'd moved to League City because our three-person family for one year had had a fourth person in it, and it was my mom's second husband, who was a mistake. He lasted a year. He turned out to be a violent man. He hurt our family. And so I was thankful that that year ended. And I was thankful that we moved out to League City. And I was thankful that that would not happen anymore. But one of the things that shifted in all of this that I wasn't ready for, we always went to St. Paul's Church downtown. No matter where we lived, if we drove five minutes or drove an hour, we would drive into town to go to St. Paul's United Methodist Church, that big Gothic tower over by the Mecham Fountains. That was our home growing up because it was stable. And so we would go, and Mom would do things with us to make the ride go by faster. You know, if you've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old in the back seat, you need to learn to do something so that you can make these long trips okay. And so what would happen for us is she would sing songs with us. Do y'all remember a grand old flag? A grand old flag, a high-flying flag? We'd even sing zippity doo die, Whatever movie thing she could, she could think of, we would sing. And my favorite was the alphabet song. A, you're adorable. B, you're so beautiful. C, you're as cute as a charm. D, you're a darling dear. It goes throughout the whole alphabet, so we were learning all of the alphabet and also this wonderful message from mom. Can you think of mom telling you on the way to church, hey, you're adorable. Hey, you're beautiful. You know, sinking in, sinking in at a, at a deep level as we would go to church. Well, when this violence entered our life, which now I'm violating mom's rules because he was called the unmentionable, and we never spoke of him again. And so, once the unmentionable was booted out, and once the violence stopped, the singing also stopped. And I didn't understand why. We stopped going to church. We stayed out in League City, and no more of those trips in and out of town. No more of that rock that had been our church all that time. I didn't understand what was going on in my mom's heart and her soul in that moment, in that place. And so after a while, someone noticed. Someone noticed that this little family wasn't there anymore, got in the car, drove out to League City, and knocked on the door. I got to answer the door, and my sister Terry was around with me, and we, we opened the door, and I looked, and I said, the preacher's here, the preacher's here. <laughs> Terry came running and grabbed onto his legs, 
And it was excitement. That's just the kind of little family we were, you know. It wasn't like Samuel getting that, are you coming peaceably? <laughs> nope. It was the preacher's here. And we were excited that the preacher was here. And so I wasn't sure mom was so excited. It took her a while to come to the door. Okay, and she came and they had conversation and he stayed for a while and visited. And at the end of that, it was clear that mom didn't think she was worthy to go to church. That was her second marriage. That was her hope. And it had been a mistake. She just couldn't hold her head up and go back into church. Those people will judge me. I'm not welcome anymore. I'm not good enough. That's what was going on in her head. The pastor knew it. The pastor prayed with her, cried with her, and said, come home. Come home. Sure enough, next Sunday, 45-minute ride, singing songs, back at church. Second chances come at us all the time. If we hear the words, come home if we look and seek the lost, if we reach out to those who need them to happen. I had a friend and mentor, Mary Sebrand. She was a second career pastor, and so she was taking a second chance at life. She had turned over her business degree and decided she would preach. And so as Mary was taking her second chance as a pastor, she had her first appointment as the first woman at a 140-year-old church that had only had men before that. And we got to be, I was pastor at Bering, which was 140 years old, and Mary was pastor at St. James Methodist Church in Freedmanstown, 140 years old. And so we would talk and meet and learn from each other, and we would try and help our congregations, mostly white and mostly black, figure out how they could be in partnership together. We needed lots of second chances. It was not an easy thing. And I remember one day talking about inclusion and diversity and all these things, and Mary looked at me and she said, Troy, you're not getting it. And she shook her head back and forth and she said, Troy, we are an old black church. And I said, I know, you know, you're 140 years old, like we're 140 years old. And she said, no, we're an old black church. We don't even welcome young black people. <laughs> oh, the struggles we go through to make sure everyone is at the table and everyone hears the word of welcome, that there's a second chance for all of us and we would try hard. And the reason I bring up Mary today is that she was one of those mothering types of pastors. In her trunk, she would have an assortment of canned goods and food items and toys and whenever she would see a young, per young kid on the street that looked like he was up to no good, she'd open that trunk, give him a dollar bill, give him a can of food and say, go home, be good. And she was known throughout Freedmanstown that's Pastor Mary, and she would mother the whole neighborhood. And in that, in that moment, she was giving people second chances. Every can of food, every dollar, every bless you, you're a good child, go on home, was a second chance that she gave to her community. I bring her up today because this passage was one of her favorites. The passage of Samuel, the passage of Saul, this relationship that they had, she loved it. And she would preach on it. She was a force. She was about four foot ten. And, and she was even shorter because she was crumpled over with arthritis. And at St. James Place, 140 years old, it was not handicap accessible. 
you know, so she'd climb up those steps every Sunday to preach, but when she got up there, that voice, you know. So she's talking about Samuel, and she's talking about Saul, and she said, no, these guys are friends. You know, they started it together, this whole king stuff. They've been in it from the beginning. How do we start a new way with these people? How do these people listen? They're calling out for a king. How do we do that? So from the very beginning, Samuel and Saul are doing a new thing together. How's it going to work out? They don't know. They don't know how it's going to work out. But they're going to try. And there becomes a point in time in this relationship where they split. Saul decides to lean upon his own learning. And Samuel decides to wait upon God. And in that moment, in that time, in that place, they hurt. Friends hurt when they've cared for one another, when they've loved one another, when they've taken care of each other, when they've built new projects together, when they've tried to save the world together, and then they go separate ways. It hurts. It hurts because we care. And so in this time when this reality becomes weighing down upon Samuel, and he's crying, Samuel's grieving, Samuel's off on his own, he can't get out of bed, He's not doing much prophet work. And this is where God finds him. God speaks a word to Samuel and says, How long? Not why. How long will you grieve? God knows grief. Not why did you grieve. How long will you grieve? Jesus grieved over Jerusalem. Jesus grieved over Lazarus. Jesus wept openly. God knows grief. It's not to be avoided. If you're sharing tears this day for any of those we've lost recently, those are holy tears. Those are healing tears. Those are connected and show you that you care as God wants you to care. So not how long... Not, I mean, not why, but how long. Samuel, I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. Samuel, I know you're grieving. And it's a good thing. Samuel, we've got to be about this future that I see. Take your horn. Fill it with oil. We're going to start again. Samuel, you have a second chance. Samuel, I will be with you each and every step of the way. Now, Samuel didn't stop grieving the moment that happened. But that oil that you put in that horn, that oil has another name. It's called hope. He did not grieve anymore as those who have no hope. Filled that horn with oil, went over. He was told to go see Jesse, and so he did. So Samuel's on his way. And this is where that peaceable question comes up. Are you peaceable? You know, when the preacher comes to town, it's almost like a western. Are you peaceable? You know? Well, I don't know about you, but I know some queer people for whom they would ask that question every time they saw a preacher. What do you have in store for me? You know, are you peaceable? And certainly in reality, Samuel was so in a new creation. He had an horn of oil, a horn of oil ready, full of hope that there could be a new way that the second chance mattered and that he was going to take that second chance for God and he was going to move on. 
And so he gets past the guards, he gets to Jesse's family, and they start to look for who is this that God's calling us now? Who is this that God's calling for us? And so the oldest and the tallest and probably the prettiest and probably the most jock-like person, you know, steps up and Samuel said, hey, this is mighty fine. This must be the one. And God says, oh, Samuel, we're going to do this differently this time. We're going to look at the heart. So don't look at how tall, don't look at how pretty, don't look about how beautiful, don't look about how much money, don't look about how straight acting he is. Just look at the heart. You know. And so they go through the list. Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah. They keep going. All these seven sons and there's not one there that God likes enough. That God says the heart is where I need the heart to be. And so they're puzzled, and they sit around, and they look, and they try and figure it out, and they don't know what's going on, and then finally Samuel comes up with the right question. You know how we are lost until we come up with the right question? You know, the right question. Are these all your children? Are these all your children? Have we left anybody out? Are these all your children? Jesse responds, well, there's David. He's the youngest, and he serves as our shepherd. You remember I talk about shepherds being the stinky ones. And so this is Jesse's nice way of saying, Samuel, you don't want to go there. Too young, not qualified. Too stinky, you don't want him around. But Jesse says, we need everybody to walk before God. Everyone has the chance to pass before God. So David's brought forward, and sure enough, David is... The called one, the one that's anointed, that Samuel's second chance takes root and moves into this shepherd place from the shepherd to being a king for the people. And it worked for a while, but he gets the chance to move forward. So how is it when we don't ask the right questions? Are these all your children? No. We are your children, but this isn't all of our children. And what will we use our second chances for that God gives us? Samuel anointed David for hope for a new future, for what would come. Follow up on that story with my mom. She learned it wasn't good to just marry someone so that the kids would have a dad. That wasn't the right reason. Took her another couple years, and then she found a man that she looked at differently. Not how tall, though he was 6'2". Not how handsome, though he looked pretty good. Not how jock-like, though he was a football coach, played for the Dallas Cowboys, but that he had a tender heart. And so she chose my new father. And so into that, that new family, the way she would say it, we got married. You know, we all got married. We went to church. And so in this new church, we found a pew, we bought a house, and life became stable, solid, you know? And this was our pew right here, Amy Joe, Stephanie. That's the plumber pew right there. <laughs> I don't know if y'all had one of those in your church. But we would sit there every Sunday, and so one Sunday, something was a little bit different. I came in, and I sat down on the pew, and also on our pew was Effie and Maydell and Mansell. And we knew Maydell and Mansell from school, and we knew Effie 
because occasionally she would help uh, with the children in the nursery at the church. And so mom said, you remember when it was just the three of us, Troy, Terry, and me? You remember that? And I said, we said, yeah, sure. And she said, well, that's what it's like right now for Effie and Maydell and Mansell. They're a family of three, but they're not alone. This is their family too now, and they will be sitting with us every Sunday. So what do you do with your second chance? Is it just for you? Or is it about extending God's love for all? What do you do with your second chance? I was 11 turning 12 at that time. I didn't know we were about to step into what it meant to be the first racially integrated pew in the church. <laughs> second pew front and center. I just knew Effie and Maydell and Mansell. And my mom knew what it was like to be a mother with two kids. And together she chose to change the world. Church, are we asking the right questions? Truly grieve, truly care, truly heal, and ask the questions. Are all God's children here? All the whosoever, he-soever, she-soever, trans-soever, queer-soever, straight-soever, mom and dad-soever. Are all God's children here? That was the right question. Let us take a second chance. Thanks be to God. Thank you.